0: For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. Now let's join Pastor Jeremy for today's message.
1: So if you have a copy of God's Word, let me invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And if you're just joining us, we are in a series entitled A House Divided, A House Divided. Sometimes uh, the church is not always the most united place. Um, And so Jesus said in Mark chapter three and verse twenty five, if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. The reality is, if the local church. Namely, if Southwide is going to be a place that is a kingdom force and the kingdom force that God intends for us to be, we must be united. We have a massive gospel that is worth uniting around. Massive essential things that unite us. As Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, there is one body and one spirit we were called with one hope. We have one Lord. We have one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father who is over all and through all and in all. We have a massive gospel that unites us. Even as God is one, we are one and we've been made one in Christ. And that unity extends beyond the local church, by the way. To the universal church, to every believer who has ever lived in every place and at every time. We are one in Christ. And that reality should create grateful hearts. As we think about all that God has done for us in Christ. We should be grateful that God would save us and continue to sanctify us according to his purpose. But sadly, that's not always the case. The church that should have kingdom eyes does not always have kingdom eyes. The church that should be grateful is not always grateful. The church that should be united is not always unified. In fact, the church is sometimes defined more by what divides us than what unites us. And this is, in fact, the church at Corinth. They were divided over leadership. They were divided over who was the wisest and the most spiritual among them. They were jealous of one another. They were prideful. They were even suing one another. Praise God, we're not there. Amen. The list is long, and it's worthy of us considering each and every one of the things that divided the church, and we're going to do that in the coming days. And in many ways, if we're honest, we read through the book of 1 Corinthians, we will see ourselves again and again in the text. And there is a convicting question. So we consider our own lives and our own church. There is a convicting question that must echo from the church at Corinth to the church called Southwide. In every conflict, in every disagreement, and every argument, this is the question. It's a question that should not only be asked in the local church, but a question that should be asked in every Christian marriage, every Christian family, friendship, organization and any group of people that bears the name of Jesus. The question that must be asked in every single conflict is this, is Christ divided? And that's the very question that Paul asked the church at Corinth, so If you found your place, as we look to that question, let me invite you to stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Beginning at verse 10. The Bible says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you. But that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Be emptied of its power. Lord Jesus, we come before You in Your Word this morning and we desire to see the message of the cross at work among us. We desire to see Your power unleashed in this place for the sake of the saving of the lost and the unifying of Your church. Jesus, without the cross, we have no unity. But in the cross, we have been united where we were so infinitely divided. We've been united to a God who loves us. The chasm between us and him spanned by the work of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, so that we are restored into a right relationship with God. And I praise you for that this morning. And if there's one here that is separated from God today, would you restore them through the power of the cross? Lord, we've been united to one another. And we've been united by the very blood of Jesus. And so I pray that we would honor you with our unity this morning. That we would obey your word and that you would be lifted up here in this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated Is Christ divided, my message to you this morning is quite simply the message of Paul to the church at Corinth. Namely, that all of you would agree and that there would be no divisions among you, but you would be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Now, that's a mouthful to say to a Baptist church, I know. Let me put it to you quite simply. We who are united to Christ must be united in Christ. We who are united to Christ must be united in Christ. Is that not what Jesus prayed for? John chapter 17, do you remember? Jesus said, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. This is what Paul is calling the church to be. The very thing that Jesus prayed for. Agree together, be united. We who are united in Christ or to Christ rather must be united in Christ. Christ. Well, after setting things in context, Paul reminding the church there that they were part of something much bigger than themselves. we got to get that vision if we're going to understand what unity looks like in the church. We have to realize that we are a part of something that is much bigger than ourselves. And then reminding them of the importance of being grateful to God for what He's doing in one another. Right? That grateful heart. That Godward Gratitude. Paul gets to the very heart of the conflict in the church and he addresses what he had heard about them directly. Now we see that in verse 11. He says, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul or I follow Apollos or I follow Cephas or I follow Christ. Christ. So Paul is getting this report. He's getting it somewhat secondhand because it's reported to him by Chloe's people. Now, we have no idea who Chloe is or who her people are. They're never mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. Uh, there's some speculation there, but we know that Paul was in Ephesus when he's writing back to the church at Corinth. So somehow this message is being delivered from Chloe's people to Paul, perhaps in a letter kind of formatted and exchanged back and forth. And somehow she got word to Corinth or from Corinth to Paul in Ephesus about what was going on. Clearly, she was trustworthy enough that the report was true and worthy of believing. And it was too clear and too specific to deny because much of what was written here in First Corinthians is written in response to the things that we know that Chloe brought to Paul. The word report here might be somewhat deceiving for us to think about. This is just some sort of a gossip rumor kind of thing that's floating back to Paul. It's more than hearsay. And the word indicates something stronger there. The idea is Paul was in disbelief. He didn't want to believe that the church that he had just spent 18 months watering, planting in teaching, loving, that already they were in infighting, that already things had gone sideways. It's like he's trying to understand and struggle to understand how it could get to this point so quickly after he left. But there was enough of a witness. It's the word report here. I wouldn't believe it if she didn't tell me that this is happening in the church. This is the way division tends to come into the church. It happens before we could ever see it coming. We often find ourselves in the, position of, in the position of asking, how could this have happened? Where did it come from? Everything seemed just fine. And all of a sudden, the enemy begins to work. And our flesh is weak and he finds those places where he can sneak in and the whole church gets turned sideways. And church, can I tell you that if we are not sober minded and careful, that the same thing will happen to us every single time between the schemes of the enemy and the weaknesses of our own flesh, we will find ourselves in the position that we have turned inward and our inwardness is fighting rather than glorifying and praising God and living according to his mission. And when it happens, when it happens, we have to be honest about where we are. This is what Paul comes to. It's this come to Jesus moment. It's this moment of honesty where he says, Corinth, we've got to level about some things. We've got to deal with some things that are real among us. Everything in Corinth, Paul says essentially, is not okay. That's what Paul does here. The situation that is there is quarreling, Paul says. It's an active engaged, ongoing conflict. It's not the casual disputes that happen every now and then. It's the ongoing week after week, day after day kind of disagreement that seems to be growing. The word is often translated strife, contentions, rivalry. We all know about rivalry weekend in college football, right? Those things that brew over years and we smile and nod, but in reality, there's something bubbling under the surface. This is what happens in the local church. It was true at Corinth. There was not a potential for conflict. There was an active battle. Words were said. Tempers were hot. Defenses were up. Swords were drawn. Nobody was drawing a truce at this point. And Paul further expands on that picture when he says, what I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. So as I hear there's dissensions, and not only are there dissensions among you, you've kind of divided into four different camps. This is often what happens. The church, when it comes to conflict, often divides into camps over various Things for various reasons, but various camps form within the church and the church becomes divided over these issues. And oftentimes they'll nominate a leader of their camp. And in that particular area, they'll follow their leader as long as the leader is following that particular issue or lands on the same side of the fence as they do. Believers tend to align themselves with the person who led them to Christ, but it becomes an ungodly kind of partnership. And so the church here at Corinth is in four different camps. Some of them are in the Paul camp. Seems like a good place to be. Paul is not claiming any claim to fame on these camps, but it's probably the group of charter members. Remember, Paul had come to Corinth under uh, a, a, a... Living with a couple there and under this church planning kind of mission and they began a church and it was probably small to begin with, but no doubt after 18 months, God had grown the church. Paul had been gone for a season now and the church was expanding and there's probably a group of folks that said we were the originals. We were the original Corinth Christians. We've got kind of a handle on this. We're going to hold our ground. And we're going to keep doing things the way that they were done the old way, the Paul way. Then there was another group of Apollos Christians, the Apollos camp. Acts 18 gives us a little bit of insight into who Apollos, Apollos was. You can read this later. Acts 18, verse 24 and 25. But we know about Apollos there that he was an eloquent man, he was competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord. He had been fervent in spirit. This was the kind of man that was an excellent preacher and ultimately evangelist. We know that he came to Corinth after passing Paul. And when he comes to Corinth, there seems to have been a group developed around him. Probably the more academic, gifted, the more eloquent. Hence chapter 2. When we get there and you'll see that as being one of the problems. Then there was a group that followed Peter. He's called Cephas here. We don't know for sure if Peter even ever visited Corinth, but he is mentioned a few times. Chapter 1, 3, 9, 15. But not all at all, by the way, in 2 Corinthians. Perhaps he baptized some of them or taught some of them, but we don't know exactly. And then there was the Jesus camp. You think, that's the camp I want to be in, right? Maybe. These seem to be the purest, the ones who say, well, we're not following any man, we're following Jesus. And yet we know there was even some pride on that end of things if you read the letter to Corinth. So the church was divided into camps. I've seen this play out a number of different ways in the local church. We make war, persistent war on this division that stays among us. We keep putting it to death. We work hard for that. Why? Because we who are united to Christ must be united in Christ. So let's take a few moments this morning and unpack that verse 10. Verse 10 is really the driving verse that is behind all of the rest of 1 Corinthians. Verse 10 says this. I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. What does it mean to be united in Christ? Number one, we see ourselves as the family in Christ. We see ourselves as family in Christ. Notice how he addresses them. Verse 10. I appeal to you, brothers. Brothers. This is not a title that could be given to all of the rest of the world. In fact, we know that those who are in Christ, according to John 1, we were here just months ago. But to all who did receive him... Who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. If you are here this morning and you are a Christian, it is because you have been born again by the Spirit of God. And because you have been born again by the Spirit of God, you have been brought into a different family. You were not born into God's family in which God was your father. That was given to you by the blood of Jesus. And so we become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. And as a result, we are family We don't receive the spirit of sonship as Roman or the spirit of slavery, rather, as Romans eight says. But the spirit of adoption, sonship. Right. We cry Abba, Father, the spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, we become sons of God, children of God. John says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And so Paul says, if you're children, children of God, and I'm a child of God and you're a child of God, then I can appeal to you as a brother, as a sister, right? We, we all know what it's like to be in family relationships. Sometimes we don't get along too well as brothers and sisters either, do we? Right. Some of us even extending into adulthood. But the reality is that to have a brother or to a sister, you are bound by blood. Right. You are together. And Paul says, if you are a child of Christ, if you're a child of God, then you are a brother to me. When we get into conflict, when 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 we're at odds with one another, we've got to realize that this is not just somebody that we can write off. Right, You are a brother or a sister in Christ. This is something that must be resolved. In reality, we're going to spend the rest of eternity together. We're family, whether you like it or not, (laughs) whether I like it or not. We are family, and sometimes that means we, as a family, have to go through hard stuff together. We've got to deal with it. We've got to resolve, and we've got to move beyond it. We've got to ask for forgiveness, and we have to forgive, and we've got to move beyond our bitterness because... Family's family, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Jesus said, looking at those around him, his disciples, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside as if they're waiting, asking to speak to him. Verse 48 says, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers? In other words, setting those Physical blood relationships aside, verse forty nine and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of the father, will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. These new relationships, brothers and sisters in Christ. Secondly, not only are we family in Christ, we bear the name of Christ with honor. We bear his name. When we were, by God's grace, privileged to adopt uh, Alec last uh, November, or last end of October, actually, and that was final, uh, we changed his name. And so just this past week, actually, we received his birth certificate that had his name, Alec Jude Lewis, and our names on there as mother and father, and it was a joyous moment for us. Because now he bears our name. He is fully adopted. Whenever we come to faith in Jesus, we bear a different name. We, we've had a name change, so to speak. So when he appeals to them as brothers, he says, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. If you're a Christian this morning, you cannot go anywhere, be a part of anything without bearing the name of Jesus. Right. The church, as we talked about a few weeks ago, the church having a a, a sign out front that says divided that bolt on thing that that's not to be the case. But rather, we should bear a, a sign that says the name of Jesus, because everything that happens as a church and everything that we are and everything that we plan has the name of Jesus over it so that it is Jesus name that unites us. And We do that with Honor. Many times in scripture we see that Jesus has given us his name. I'm reminded of Isaiah chapter 43, one of my favorite passages of scripture. It says this, verse 5, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. This is a description of the coming gathering together of all of God's people from the four winds. And verse 7 says, Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, whom I have formed and made. We bear the name of Christ. Acts chapter 9, whenever Paul was called... To the ministry saved and he was blinded. He was waiting for Ananias to come and give him a word from the Lord as God had chosen. And Paul and God says to Ananias, go for he is a chosen instrument of instrument of mine, uh, of mine. And what is he chosen to do? To carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. We've been called by the name of Jesus. We bear it. We're his representatives. We're his spokespersons. We give testimony and everything that we are and do as a church says to the world, this is who Jesus is. So do we do so with honor, with unity? Third, what does it mean for the church to be united? It means that we work hard for agreement under Christ. We work hard for agreement under Christ. This is almost comical. (laughs) That Paul would say to any church, can't you guys just agree? Right. You get 100 people or so into a room, into a place and a people and and they're all supposed to just agree. Right. That's not going to happen. That doesn't happen in Congress. That doesn't happen in the church. That doesn't happen anywhere. But the word here is not a passive kind of state of being. It's not to say that we should all have the same opinion because that's not going to be the case. We're not all going to have the same gifts. We're not going to have all the same background. In fact, there's great diversity both in the church at Corinth and in the church here called South white There's much diversity here, but that's not the call. The call is an active, it's an action kind of thing. It's working hard to agree together, even when we don't have the same opinion sometimes. And to find agreement together where the relationship is preserved, where we love one another despite differences of opinions, that takes hard work. It takes apologies. It takes humility. It takes to sum it all up. Effort. And we have to work hard at agreeing together under Christ, but it's worth it's worth agreement. By the way, the word agreement has the idea behind it of, of voice. It's the things that we say, the message that we present, the togetherness of our testimony is the main idea of what he means by agreeing together. The idea is putting aside petty disputes so that the main thing can be the main thing. It's, it's dealing with things quickly, conflict quickly, so that we're not at odds one another with one another, so that we continue to be one voice for the sake of the gospel. This is what Paul means by agreeing together. What does it mean for the church to be united? Fourth means that we seek to resolve conflict in the grace of Christ. We seek to resolve conflict in the grace of Christ. He says in verse number 10, the middle, that there be no divisions among you. There be no divisions among you. Obviously, there are. And Paul is not oblivious to the reality that there's going to be more divisions in the church. You hang out with any group of people for any length of time and you're going to discover some disagreements or some things you don't have in common and some things that annoy you about other people, right? Paul calls the church at Corinth to work hard, to be quick to resolve conflict so that there's no division among you. Continue to work on it day after day, resolving the conflict in the grace of Christ. The word division there is the word schisma or schism, you might have heard. It's a relational division. He is calling the church to be together. There's so many churches that have split over all kinds of different things. And Paul is saying, no, deal with those things. Resolve those things so that there is no division among you. That requires God's grace. Because we face some things sometimes that seem insurmountable. We face some things that seem like, you know, we could never get beyond this. Can I tell you that the most. The thing that, that was most divisive in our life, Jesus has already conquered when he went to the cross. He conquered our sin. You know what that means? That means that anything in Christ is surmountable. Anything in Christ is resolvable. And we must work hard to do that. To love one another and to resolve conflict in God's grace. There's a fifth thing here. And a final thing that we see about what it means for the church to be united. It means that we humbly submit ourselves to the word of Christ. We humbly submit ourselves to the word of Christ. It is not unity at the cost of truth. It is actually unity through truth. Watch this. Paul says at the end of verse 10, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And we're going to look at this more when we get into chapter 2. But chapter 2, verse 16 says, For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And he's talking there about how to understand the deep things of God, namely the word of God. He's dealing with teaching. He's dealing with preaching. We're talking about the word. And Paul says, no, be united in the same mind which Chapter two tells us is the mind of Christ and the same judgment, knowing what is true. Paul's concern here is that they be united, not just with any superficial unity, but that they be united under the word of Christ. We must humbly submit ourselves to the word of Christ. And that means listen to me carefully this morning. That means in the things that we do in obedience to Jesus in order to keep from being in conflict. And when we get into conflict, the way that we handle it must be also according to God's word. And the church fails on both counts. Friend, the Bible teaches us how to deal with conflict. The Bible teaches us how we're to resolve that conflict. The Bible tells us the things that we are to agree on. And we must be obedient to the scripture no matter what the costs are. Because God will bless that. And you might have a big church with busting at the seams numbers by not necessarily agreeing on the truth. Being united. Having good warm fuzzy feelings. But you will not have a God-honoring church. We must be committed to God's word. Loving one another in submission to God's word in the way that he calls us to. So be united in the same mind, in the same judgment. Because we've been united to Christ, we must be united in Christ. So two questions this morning as we lean into the Lord's table. Number one, are you united to Christ? Do you know this morning, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus has forgiven your sins, cleansed you from all unrighteousness, that you have been restored into a right relationship with God, and that you will spend forever with him? If not, would you turn this morning from your sin and trust in Christ? He is the only hope that you have. Being united to him, God will not ask you one day, tell me all the things that you did for me. He will ask you one day, did you know my son? Because he's the only way of salvation, the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by him. So, do you know Him? Are you are you united to Christ this morning? In just a few moments, if that's not you, if you don't know Jesus, would you stand with us as we sing, and would you step out of the place where you're standing and come down this aisle and say, Pastor, today I want to know Christ. So that's question number one: Are you united to Christ? Question number two: Is Christ divided? Because some of you in this room right now are divided from a brother or sister or multiple. And Christ is not divided. The problem does not lie with him. Would you this morning be willing to obediently follow God's word and resolve and make this right? So that you've obeyed God, so that he's honored and so that his church is strengthened. So with every head bowed and every eye closed. We want to invite you to do that this morning. In just a few moments, Dylan's going to come and he's going to play. We're going to have a time of invitation where you come to this altar this morning. You need to spend time with the Lord in prayer. Maybe other decisions that need to be made in this room. But whatever the case is this morning, you obey Christ, preparing your heart to partake of the Lord's Supper. And this morning, you need to be obedient to Him. So when we stand, you come. Spend time with the Lord. Make that decision that He's laid on your heart. And then after we finish this time of invitation this morning, we'll partake together of the Lord's table. The Lord tells us to examine ourselves and partake of a worthy manner. Would you examine your heart and where you are with the Lord even now as we prepare to take His table? Would you stand with me all across the room as Dylan leads us this morning? I'm going to pray and our invitation will begin. Lord Jesus. We pray that you would have your way in our hearts and in this place, that you would restore what is so broken, that you would restore relationships, that you would restore sinners to salvation this morning, to knowing you, and that you would receive all of the glory and honor. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. You come this morning.
0: You've been listening to the Southwide Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Jeremy Lewis. For more information about our church, please visit www.southwidebaptist.com. We also invite you to connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram by searching for Southwide BC. Thank you for listening, and may you continue to worship. the connect, grow, and multiply as you follow Jesus Christ.